Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. Yeah, God, I just thank you for Bill. I thank you for um, his heart, his pastoral heart. And that he cares about us, and I pray that you would, um, yeah, help us know the heart behind what he's saying, and um, that we would be challenged to grow. Um, yeah, amen. Morning, everybody. As Sue's just mentioned, uh, if you weren't here last week. All of the people that stand up here and teach are going to take a week and say something. It's a fairly open-ended topic, I guess, but what has God been teaching us lately or something like that. So I'll do that. Uh, Nellie did that last week. If you were here, you know that. And uh, so usually we are, uh, at least for the last few years, we have generally been very focused on a passage. And I will not be focused on a passage. I will throw in some Bible verses so that you feel like you got some uh, bible stuff, some bible goodness, but it won't be quite so focused on a passage. It won't be uh, oriented around that. It's going to be for a few weeks a little more, <clears throat> I don't know, reflection-based, I guess. And then uh, once we have completed that in a handful of weeks, we will pick Matthew back up and finish that thing off, um, landing on Easter, and that'll be great. And we can all be happy that we did a whole book, and it's all available on the podcast if you missed something. So for me today, I'm going to actually, part of it's going to be me talking about something I think that God's been teaching me about, but for a little while, I want to talk about when we say God's teaching us, what are we talking about? What's the nature of that? I want to say a few things about that. And between those two talking points, hopefully something will have value for you. Uh, so, So that's my hope. So, as far as what are we talking about when we talk about God teaching us something, uh, I guess I want to start with the idea that we can think of two kinds of knowing. There's probably more than two kinds of knowing, but two that I want to talk about. And we could label them, this is, my, my stand is not obeying me, but okay. I think I can manage. So, there's, we could call it factual knowledge and experiential knowledge. People sometimes label these head knowledge and heart knowledge, but then that kind of makes it sound like heart knowledge is about how you feel, and that's not what I'm talking about. So we'll call it factual and experiential. And so if you want to have uh, a strong sense of what I'm talking about, well, I want you to consider a question, uh, and don't, you don't have to answer, just think about what the answer would be. How many states are in the United States? And you probably thought 50, which is true, it's not a trick question. And, and out of curiosity, there's 50. Um, how many of you, by show of hands, have been to all 50? And as I suspected, nobody has. So it's not that you have seen firsthand that there's 50 states or something like that, but it's a fact that someone told you that you have no good reason to question, and pretty sure it's true. So uh, that's one kind of knowing, and it's useful to know that. It's useful to know certain things that way. If you want to think about this second kind of knowledge, ponder this question. Where is J on the keyboard? And if you use a keyboard frequently, and if you learned to type in a formal setting, 
you would probably think about that and say, J is right here. And if that's not how you type or if you use a funky keyboard with a different set arrangement, then fine, you'd have a different answer, but you have a feel for where a certain letter is. And, that and, and you can memorize the layout of a standard keyboard, but that doesn't make you a good typist, right? Becoming a good typist requires typing a bunch. And it be, requires where J is, et cetera, being second nature. You do it enough that it becomes second nature. It's a reflex. You don't have to think about it anymore. It's part of how you interact with the world. It's part of the feel you have for the world. Uh, maybe some of us don't feel that way about typing, but you may know something else that way. Uh, I think it's funny. Sometimes I've caught myself uh, describing Paul writing a letter, and I'll go like this, because this is how I think of letter writing. And of course, I know that's not how he did it, but this is, this is associated closely in my mind in a non-conscious way with writing text. And even if that's not, even if you're not a computer person, you know something like, like that. You have things that shape and that you take for granted about how you interact with the world, and that's this second kind of knowing. It's not that someone told you and then you learned it. It's something that, is, uh, that, you, that, that shapes you in a different kind of way. And so I would suggest, and I hope it's not too controversial, that when we talk about learning from God or knowing God, or if we talk about the kind of knowledge that Christianity is interested in and that probably we are interested in, probably that God is most interested in for us, we're probably more talking about this second kind of knowing, this transformative shaping, uh, I've said experiential knowing, or this um, <clears throat> the things that influence how we are. There's a place for that first thing, the facts, the ideas that someone tells you and now you have them. But I believe that when we think about God teaching us, it's mainly not that God wants us to know, oh, God is eternal or whatever. Okay, cool, whatever. Now I know that fact about God. It's really more uh, something about our feel for how we interact with God and the world and other people and just how we, how we walk about, if you will. And I do think that there is a real difference between knowing something about God because someone said so, like if I'm up here and I say something, and you go, oh yeah, now I know that thing. That is a, a certain kind of knowing about God, but there's a, this very big difference of actually experiencing and uh, discovering something that's true about God. You may recall uh, Job, it's 42.5, he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. There's this sense in which Job encountered God in a way that he hadn't before. He had heard about God before, but now he's discovered something in a much more impactful way. So that's just a little taste of that maybe. <clears throat> so there's these two ways of, at least two ways, two ways I'm interested in, of knowing stuff about God. And I think the second way is the way that we ought to be most, I think that's where the real treasure is in terms of knowledge of God. It's great to know some propositions that are true or false, but I'm really interested, and I think the real treasure is in that which changes us by our knowing it and by our learning it. And this is why I really try not to study for sermons at all, and I usually don't at all. And the reason I don't is because I want to tell you what I know in this second kind of way. I have lots of things I could tell you that I know in the first kind of way, and it's very easy to go read a book read a commentary about the Bible or whatever, to learn things in this tentative, initial, somewhat superficial, useful, but 
not transformative kind of way. But I think, at least I've assumed, and it seems to be true as far as I can tell, if I teach you from what I know, from what I have lived, from what uh, God has already shaped me to see the world like and interact with the world like, hopefully that's going to make it, uh, I'm going to teach in a way that facilitates the people who hear maybe getting to that kind of knowing faster. I can't just hand over what I've learned from God by living with God, just like you can't, you have things you've learned from God that you can't just hand over to me. It takes more than that. You, like, there's some things that cannot be conveyed in one sermon, no matter how good of a sermon it is, no, how, no matter how gifted and exciting and experienced the preacher is, there's things you cannot learn in one shot. And I think, in fact, most things worth learning are things you can't learn in one shot. And so, uh, a lot, just like there's two kinds of knowing, that I'm interested in at least, there's two kinds of uh, learning that correspond to those, and therefore two kinds of teaching. And the church, uh, the, the big church, is set up in certain ways to facilitate, I think, that kind of learning, the, the experiential shaping uh, being transformed kind of learning. And so, for example, when you may have noticed, Christians don't generally just read the Bible once and say, okay, done, next book. You know, like we, hopefully that's not how you do it. Usually, the normal thing is we keep revisiting passages, right? Because you don't just, there are things that, that Scripture has to teach you and transform in you that you won't get in one shot. It requires living with this, being with this, having it sort of uh, being immersed in Scripture as you're immersed in life and going through life, making decisions based on what you're discovering, the Holy Spirit working in us, etc., right? Uh, God doing things through Scripture to shape us. And yes, I believe that God will sometimes zap people with knowledge. There are things God has taught me that way and that do shape me, but that's, in my experience, that's the exception, not the rule. Uh, I'm gr it's great if God just gives you something matrix style, right? The instant download. Uh, but that's, but that's, that's the exception, not the rule. Most of the things that God teaches us, I would say, and Harry and I were talking about this earlier, it's less like the matrix and more like the karate kid. If you recall, the karate kid um, wants to learn karate and Mr. Miyagi has him like wax his car and sand the deck or whatever and paint the fence. And he, gets, and he spends days doing these repetitive motions. And uh, after a few days, he just curses at Mr. Miyagi and says, well, when am I going to learn some stuff? You're not teaching me anything. You're just making me do stupid chores. And then Mr. Miyagi starts like, I don't know, doing, trying to attack him. And suddenly he's doing all this stuff. And because he has this muscle memory that I don't know if that's actually how you can learn karate. I'm, I'm qu I question that. But it applies to other things, even if it's not true of martial arts, which I have no idea about. There are things that you learn by doing stuff that maybe doesn't even feel like learning. There are things you learn that you cannot learn any other way by doing something over and over again or going through something over and over again. There's a process, and in the process is where you get the good stuff that you cannot get in one shot. You can't get some other way. And so if we can think about that, I think the kind of learning that we should expect to do from God is more the latter kind of learning, the, the this does not feel like I'm learning anything. It just feels like pain 
and tediousness and frustration. And often that is where God teaches us the really good stuff. Uh, one of my old pastors used to talk about the sudden work of God versus the slow work of God. And I believe in the sudden work of God. And I've seen some cool sudden work of God. But if we only look for the sudden work of God, we're going to miss a lot of good stuff. Or a lot of good stuff is going to feel painful. It's going to feel like this is a waste of time. It's going to feel like I'm sick of not seeing amazing things happen. And we may come to, you know... it. If we come to church only looking for, or if we go through life only looking for the sudden stuff, the spectacular stuff, uh, it can start to feel like God's not doing anything. But that's ridiculous to think God's not doing anything. I think there's a lot that God does in this slow, barely observable or not observable kind of way. So, uh, among other things, this is why you may have noticed when I'm up front talking, I repeat myself a lot. And other teachers here may repeat themselves a lot as well. I assure you it's not because we've run out of things to say. I spend a lot of time learning stuff and reading books. Like, that's my full-time thing, reading and learning and talking with people about the Bible and theology and Jesus. I haven't run out of things to say. If my goal was just to tell you information... I could keep you busy for many, 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 many weeks. I could keep you busy for years on Sunday morning with information if that's what the goal was. But I repeat myself because what I'm trying to do is not give you as much information as possible, as much theology and history and scripture and whatever as possible. The goal is to cultivate something in a community so that it becomes second nature. So I repeat a lot of things because I want them to become part of how we think about God without having to think about it. And I hope I'm doing that. If I'm not, then that's unfortunate, but that's the goal. And that's why I might seem repetitive sometimes. This also applies to how we deal with uh, what we might call prophecy. So here at at Basileia and a lot of other churches, uh, we believe and we experience that God speaks, that the Holy Spirit living in us reveals things and often Uh, works among us to reveal things to one another. So if someone's praying for me after church, I will, uh, you know, okay, I have this thing. Maybe you can pray for me. They pray. They get a a word from the Lord. I feel like the Lord is saying this to you, is showing me this about you. And it may feel like, yeah, that feels like it's probably God. It feels like there's a life on it that's from God. It feels like that fits in some special way. And, uh, And that's a thing that we do quite a lot of. I would suggest that Probably most of the time, whatever it is that God is saying to us in that kind of way isn't just for that moment. I think a lot of those things are the kind of things that if you really want to get out of it the real treasure, it needs to be sat with, it needs to be chewed on, it needs to be uh, taken in over time. And so as I have said many times before, I'm happy to repeat myself again, it is a wise thing to document those things, to keep those things somewhere and to revisit them periodically for that to become part of. And, and some things you may say, oh, I'm not so sure this is a God thing that might have been a little off, fine. But, but if it feels like, yes, this is, there's something to this, to this word that I got on this particular day from this particular person, which I wrote down and have and revisit, uh, there is a great capacity for that to shape us in a way that if you just heard it once and then went off to lunch and then watched some TV and forgot about it, you will not receive. So I, I recommend that. I recommend that of things you see God do, not just things 
that uh, people say in prayer. If you see God do something remarkable, write it down, write when it happened, revisit it. It has a capacity to teach us beyond that initial effect. So I think there's a lot of treasure to be mined there if we're going to be faithful in doing that. I think you'll find if you look at the scriptures, we're encouraged to do things like that. Uh, Another thought about those words of prophecy that might be helpful for someone, sometimes we'll get uh, God saying one thing to us and very suddenly uh, our circumstances, something will happen in our lives that tells us the exact opposite. So if you get a word that God's going to provide for you and then suddenly two days later something costs you a lot of money, it can feel like, oh, that obviously was wrong or, oh, I'm not sure I actually think that was... It's easy to not feel like it's true anymore. It seems like that happens a lot. Uh, I was reading the story of Joseph in Genesis recently, and he gets this dream, two dreams, where uh, his family is bowing down to him, and he tells them, and they sell him into slavery because they're ticked off about it, which is pretty much the opposite direction from the dream. But of course, if you know the story, ultimately, after many, many years, it comes true, and and it's actually a blessing to the whole family. That is a word going in one direction and reality going in another. And I think having faith in what God has said when it's hard, when our circumstances are telling us something else, there's actually something we learn that way that we can't learn any other way. I think that there's um, the ideal posture is I want to trust that this is true when it really doesn't look true. And sometimes in prayer you might say, God, it doesn't really feel like I can trust you or that you are there for me or that you do hear me. I haven't seen um, Silence yet. I want to. I'm not going to recommend it because I haven't seen it, but the book is really good. And uh, if the movie follows the book sufficiently closely, it's essentially a story of it seems like God is silent in this very hard situation. But we learn... God is not absent in this situation. And there's a learning that takes place and a change that takes place through what appears like nothing happening. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, That I don't think could be learned another way. Hopefully that's captured in the movie. I don't know. So when God teaches us, it's often repetitive. It's often a process And often we end up being reminded of something that we already knew. And so getting to what do I feel like God's been teaching me lately um, is something I already knew and probably most of you already know, and it's not going to seem that profound when I say it, but there's still something valuable to being reminded of, at least it's something that I need to be reminded of. And that's that uh, the way I would summarize it is my success is ultimately in God's hands, not mine. And when I say success, I don't mean fame and fortune and cash and respectability. I mean, uh, in my mind at least, success is I have these things that God has uh, called me to do, and I want to see the fruit of that realized. I want to be obedient to what God is calling me to do. I want to see those things come about. That's what I mean by success. My bringing about what I believe God is drawing me to uh, is ob- I mean, it's obvious, right? It's in God's hands. I mean, ever, probably anyone who's been a Christian for more than a few months gets that, would say, yes, of course that's true. 
but it's easy for me to fall into the trap of thinking that I need to figure out uh, the right process, the right methodology of getting things done, the right seven steps, or whatever. Uh, getting the stuff right, getting the, the practices right, that's how I'll bring it about and to put pressure on myself that probably is inappropriate. Specifically, uh, I suppose this applies to a lot of things, but I, I would say this is most evident to me in um, my career, which is uh, I'm trying to become a Bible professor. I'm hopefully getting pretty close to that. I've been working at it for about a dozen years. And uh, about a dozen years ago, when I did have this sort of awakening to Jesus, um, pretty promptly, within a week, uh, not unlike Joseph, I had a dream where God, I felt, was calling me to serve him, to make that what my life is about. I had kind of, I guess I kind of believed in God before that, but it became like, this is what I'm about now. And uh, there are things that God wants to accomplish through me, specifically through teaching, specifically in a college-type setting. Uh, and, and that's what I'm supposed to be pursuing. And, and my life has been oriented around that for maybe 12 years now. And <clears throat> it's not that easy to bring that about. And, and not let alone once I'm there, what God's going to do. But even just getting there is hard. It's competitive. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of staying up all night and stuff like that. And... So it feels like I need to get stuff right and, you know, submit the right paper here and write the right paper there and read the right book and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's easy to feel like I'm falling really short on that because it is demanding and it is kind of hard. So uh, I can get trapped in thinking I need to figure out how to do my thing right to make this happen. I do believe <clears throat> that it's appropriate to be thoughtful about how we do things. God deserves our best effort. I'm not saying we should just, there are people who take the grace of God as, hey, I want to sit back and relax and kind of not do jack and just whatever. And I don't believe that at all. If you've heard me teach over the past several years, you know I don't think that. That's not how I think about God. But uh, there is such a thing as imagining that we are what determines the outcome, that we are the ones ultimately who decide if things go well or don't go well in our career or in our ministry, in family stuff, marriage, kids, or whatever else, whatever it is that you're doing that you think uh, has significance, it's easy to think it's, it's in our hands more than it is. And so I suggest that as much as we should be thoughtful about it, it's easy to put too much value on that. Like when I was in seminary, I was in a class. Uh, one of the first classes I took was about kind of missions and evangelism and ministry and stuff like that. And so they had us sit around and kind of share our past experience of such things. And a lot of people were saying, okay, well, my parents were conservative evangelicals. They did things at their church like this. It kind of didn't feel right to me. I'm really glad that uh, we're learning from a different perspective. And they didn't quite say it, but the feeling was, we're doing it the right way now. We've seen the error of the last couple of generations, and now we have the right way to do ministry. And uh, I was sitting there and just struck with suddenly the revela revelation that in a couple of generations, our children or our children's children are going to be sitting around complaining about all the things that are wrong with our way of doing ministry that we can't see yet, but that will become evident over time. 
And I think that's generally true. And it led me to this pet theory I have, which is, uh, and it might not be hard to accept, all ministry ideas are bad ideas. Each and everything we try to do for God is a bad idea at some level. It's all twisting what's true about God. It's all perverting something about the gospel. But because God is gracious, because uh, God loves us, he comes and sometimes blesses our efforts anyway. And so that doesn't mean we don't put in a good effort. But if I'm right about that, it does mean, you know, ultimately I shouldn't overestimate the value of my own ideas or how right I am or how wrong someone else is. Uh, I should probably recognize that we're all very, very deeply flawed in how we try to serve God. And that's just kind of how it works. <clears throat> so, recognizing that God gets things done maybe in a way that doesn't totally make sense to us, that God works unconventionally, that God works sometimes in spite of our best efforts, not because of them, I think is important. And I think that's what God has been teaching me. Um, I could, I'm going to ditch a bunch of stuff I was going to say, but... Uh, just because I don't want to make this too general, I do want to give you more of sort of my story. I was thinking yesterday about uh, when I first went off to seminary, I kind of knew, okay, sometimes if you get a master's, they'll let you teach a little bit. And like, I thought, okay, so I'll do a two-year master's uh, and then I'll just wow them and then they'll let me like teach some class and then all, God will do all this cool stuff. So I'm like, okay, two years in school. So then I start school. And then suddenly I realize, you know, that's really not how it works. You kind of have to have a doctorate to really be taken seriously as a teacher. Okay, well, what's the shortest doctorate I can get when I'm done with my two years? And then if you go to England, you can sometimes do it in like three years. So I thought, okay, two and then another three, so five. That's kind of more than I thought I was getting into at the beginning, but we'll make that happen. And so I applied for the thing, got into a school, but they're like, you know, American schools really aren't that good. We want you to do another master's degree for one year before you start your doctorate. So come here to England, do a year master's, then do the, the, the PhD. Okay, fine. So four years. And then I realized, well, they're not going to give me any money, so that's going to be hard to pay for. So maybe I should do the U.S. instead. It'll be a lot easier on us. Okay, well too late to apply this year, so I'm going to take a year off, you know, do the GRE, look at schools, apply to schools, try to get some scholarships. So next year, I'm going to start. So then I'll have three years, and then maybe I'll do the PhD in four. So I'll have seven. Okay, well, I thought I was getting into two years, but now it's seven. And then I actually show up and start working in Southern California. I expected I'd be done by now, if, if you're not tracking with me. I thought I'd be finished by now. And then I realized, well, actually, no one finishes in four years. You take a minimum five. Okay, so now I'm up to, what, eight? Now it's looking more like I'm just going to be yet one more year, so that totals nine. Hopefully it won't go too many more steps in that direction, but uh, the thing, I had my plan. I had my vision. Sometimes uh, it seems that God has frustrated my vision or disappointed me, and yet... The value I have gotten from this process is much greater than I expected. I thought I'd learn a few helpful categories and already basically teach what I knew when I was had no formal training and, and whatever. What do they know anyway? 
And I've discovered that actually there's really quite a lot of value. I think that uh, if you compared how I used to teach when I was starting this process to now, you'd see the difference. I think it has paid off a lot, I think in, in terms of classroom teaching and so on. There's a lot that I've learned that I couldn't have learned if I wasn't spending years being really mad that I'm still in school. Uh, and that you can transpose that onto your own life in various ways that, you know, in your stuff that you're working on or whatever. Uh, that may look very different, but I believe that often God will disappoint us or frustrate us in, in terms of our plans in order to do something better that, that we are too sort of narrow-minded to see on our own. And so sometimes it doesn't feel like God is doing something, or sometimes it feels like God dropped the ball, and actually we just, our expectations were what was not quite right. <clears throat> if we get this, I think it ends up basically meaning we'll probably spend a little less time trying to get our methods right, or our plans right, or our seven steps right that, you know, that we're trying to follow to be, be successful or whatever it is, and a little more time trying to cultivate relationship with God and be available uh, to do what God wants done. And again, I know you already knew that, that that was important, but it's easy to get sidetracked from that, I think. It's easy to overestimate the impact of our planning or to overestimate the impact of how we figure out how to do things. And so if we recognize and if we stick with the knowledge that ultimately our success is in the hands of God, ultimately our, our impact, whatever that is that we're trying to have an impact in that's in God's hands, um, that's going to shape the relationship that we have toward God as we, as we walk through life. So that's what I think God has been teaching me. Um, Josiah, if you're still around, if you wouldn't mind uh, backing me up a little bit. Uh, I want to say a prayer, and then um, are we going to do communion and stuff, maybe? If you, okay, you don't have to do it immediately, but when the prayer is concluded, if you feel like there's something on your heart that needs to be prayed at, I want to encourage you to either go to someone you know, or I will... I will be around. I mean, there's not that many people here. I'll probably hang around over here somewhere. And so um, if we do anything else, whenever there's a moment, pray with somebody before you leave if, um, if you feel like there's something on your heart, okay? Uh, and if you would, I want you to stand with me, if you can. Uh, and I'm just going to pray. And if you, if you feel like, yes, I agree with that prayer, you can just say amen at the end, acknowledging that. And then, yeah, if you have something on your heart by the end of this prayer, respond accordingly. Father, um, you are a good teacher. You are the best teacher, and you teach us in ways that are richer and fuller and uh, more wonderful than we can even understand. And I thank you that you take the time to teach us, that you give us that grace. Thank you for how you've been teaching me and how you've been taking my life in directions I didn't expect. And I'm sure that you're doing that in many other people's lives here too. So I thank you for that. I pray that you would give us a sensitivity to how you're guiding us, that we'd be able to see and hear that, that we'd be able to 
detect that and that you give us a, a heart that wants to do your will and wants to hear your voice and wants to learn from you even when it doesn't always feel spectacular. Give us eyes to see where you're teaching us and hearts that are malleable so we can learn from you well, as fully as possible. And highlight for us anywhere where you want to show us something that we're missing. Holy Spirit, come and lead us into the real treasure that you have to teach us, um, even if it involves a process that's longer than we wanted it to be. I pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said...